today. So I go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. As we continue this series, this short three-week series, we're calling simply God in us. And the goal uh, with this series is to increase our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And today we're going to find that the Holy Spirit is our advantage. The Holy Spirit is our advantage. Uh, You and I both know that everyone is looking for an advantage. Uh, Athletes are looking for an advantage when it comes to competition and what they can do to prepare, uh, not just individually, but as a team to, to, to win against their opponents. Students are looking for advantage in, in their studies and, and to, to bring their best and to get the best results by uh, ex- using the advantages that are afforded to them. We're all in our workplace looking for an advantage that will help us to, to serve and to bring our best every day to br- get the best results for our business or organization or whatever it is that God has put us in, in terms of our work lives. And Jesus wants to say to each one of us today, listen, you have an advantage. If you follow me, you have the ultimate advantage because you have God in you who is filling you and enabling you to live the life I have called you to live. And this is what we find in John chapter 16, verses 4 through 11. So if you would read along with me as I read these verses for us. This is what Jesus says. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is what he's going to do. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Once again, Jesus tells his disciples that he is about to depart, pointing to his coming death, and they are not going to see him any longer. And he knows that because of how deeply they love Jesus and Jesus loves them, that this is going to put pain in their hearts. Jesus says, I know your hearts are filled with sorrow, but he gives them a word of hope that follows what seems to be a word of sorrow. And this word of hope is a shocking word. It is an almost unbelievable word to their ears. It is a word that would cause them to stagger. In fact, if we could jump into the thoughts of the disciples 2,000 years ago, I'm sure they would say something like, advantage? 
Jesus, did you just say advantage? Like, we know you're the son of God. We know that you're perfect and all. But, but maybe, Jesus, maybe just maybe you just misspoke right there, okay? Or maybe we're just kind of hard of hearing. But you must have missed a prefix there. Because if you are going away, it doesn't matter who you're sending in your place. That is not an advantage. That is a disadvantage. But Jesus is not misspeaking here. He is communicating to his disciples that it will be more advantageous for them and consequently for all of us who follow Jesus, it is more advantageous for us to have the helper, the Holy Spirit in us than Jesus beside us. And just think about the implications of that. I think if we could like take a poll here, a straw poll, like who would rather have Jesus beside them or some helper that you've never heard of inside of you? They're like, I'll take Jesus. I'll take Jesus 10 times out of 10. I want Jesus with me. But Jesus says it's even more of an advantage to have the spirit inside of you than me beside you. And J.D. Greer asked this piercing question about this text when he asks this. Is your connection, this is a question I want you to consider this morning, is your connection to the Holy Spirit so strong and real that you regard his presence in you to be a better advantage than even Jesus himself beside you? Is your connection to the Holy Spirit so strong and so real that you regard his presence in you as more of an advantage than Jesus if Jesus were beside you? Another way we could ask the question is this. Does your life reveal the unbelievable advantage that the Holy Spirit wants to bring you, listen, every single day of your Christian life? We know, we saw last week, if you remember, that the Spirit is our helper. The Spirit is our teacher. The Spirit is our friend. If there is anything of spiritual value that we are to do in life, if we are going to live like Jesus and serve people like Jesus, it all happens because of the advantageous presence of the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus is highlighting here, the advantage that he wants us to consider and receive and lean on day by day is how he gives us an advantage when we tell other people about him. This is the advantage Jesus is focused on here. Jesus, we see in verse uh, 7 and 8 that he ties this advantage to his coming departure. In other words, Jesus is saying that physically I am not going to be with you and because I am God in the flesh, my presence was restricted to a physical location, but I am going to send God the Spirit in my place and God the Spirit is going to work in an omnipresent way and particularly he's going to work everywhere that followers of me go and share the good news. He is going to empower their words and help them as he, they spread the good news of my kingdom. The Spirit would continue and expand the ministry of Jesus by revealing him all over the world. But what does he specifically do? It says in verse 8, look at this. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world 
concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The key work of the Holy Spirit as Jesus refers to him as our advantage in bearing witness and telling people about him is that he will do the work of conviction. Uh, The word convict can mean to convince someone of their guilt or error. When, When conviction comes, it exposes the error of our thinking or our living. The Spirit does this by bringing people to a realization of where we are in relation to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so just so we are crystal clear about what's going on here in John chapter 16, I want us to see how Jesus' words here continue what he said at the end of chapter 15 that we saw last week. At the end of chapter 15 in verses 26 and 7, Jesus says this, But when the Helper comes, the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, what is he going to do? He will bear witness about me. But then Jesus follows up in verse 27. He says what? And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so we said last week, you need to hear it again. The Spirit testifies in our testimony. The Spirit points people to Jesus as we point people to Jesus. Uh, What's happening here in verses 8 through 11 of John 16 is Jesus is showing us practically how this works when we tell people the truth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit convinces people that this is really true about Jesus. And this is what Jesus wants us to understand and to lean on. What I've come to tell you today is this. You can be confident to share Jesus because you have the advantage of God's spirit. I mean, this is, this is an instruction for you, okay? This is, this is like, this is a statement of fact and, and a, an encouragement that we need to receive from the words of Jesus that we can be confident to share Jesus with other people because we have the advantage of Jesus living within us through his Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time working through verses 9 through 11 that tell us how the advantageous spirit does his convincing work in relation to these three realities, sin, righteousness, and judgment. All right? So number one, listen, the Holy Spirit convinces people of their sin. The Holy Spirit convinces people of their sin. Sin. In verse 8, when Jesus says the Spirit will convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment, scholars would tell us that when the world is used in opposition to Jesus, it is referring to those who have yet to believe in him. And we know that he is speaking to those in opposition to him because in verse 9 it says, those who have yet to believe in me, right? So, so, The focus here is not actually believers in Christ, but those who have yet to believe in Christ. Now, listen, for those of us, like myself, who have followed Jesus, the Spirit continues to convict us in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is is what he does. 
But again, the focus here is how the Spirit works in the hearts of unbelievers to help them see the truth of the gospel. And so in verse 9, when it says he brings conviction concerning sin, sometimes this is what it looks like, all right? The Spirit will tap a person on the shoulder and they will, he will say, um, listen, excuse me, but uh, what, you're, what you're doing right there, um, that's, that, that's not great. In fact, uh, you need to change some things in your life because God has a better plan for you. In this area of your life, you are missing the mark of God's intention. That's what the Bible calls sin. And in this area of life, you are stepping over God's good boundaries in your life, and you are going to a place that is outside of God's protection and what he has set up for your flourishing. The Bible calls that another word for sin, transgression. And and listen, this is not always enjoyable, right? I mean, how many of us wake up? How many of you woke up this morning, you know, whatever time you got off, 6.37, 9.30, whoever, like, and, and, and you said, I just hope that someone points out how wrong I am, you know, all of the flaws and failures in my life, the way that I am missing the mark and how I'm stepping over the boundaries of God. Like, we don't, we don't love that, right? We don't, we don't sign up for that every day. But have you considered that when it comes to, like, going to the optometrist, and the optometrist is saying, like, you know what, there's some some things wrong with your vision, and you need some corrective lenses, or, you know, I'm not going to do push-ups for you right now, but some of you could get up here and do about 150, like, we're not, we're, we're okay, we appreciate when the personal trainer says, hey, there are some things that you could do to get in better physical shape, and yet when we hear, comes to spiritual matters, and God says, this is right, this is wrong, Th- this, this fires me up, or this really breaks my heart. We don't want to hear it. But God is, remember, God is Father. And when God points something out that we need to change, when he says, hey, this is sinful in your life and you need to get this out of your life, you need to deal with this, you need my forgiveness for your sin because your sin is not just bad for you, but it dishonors me and it stains my glory. We need to understand that God is like a loving parent who corrects his children for their good. He is like a doctor who knows how to prescribe the precise remedy that will bring healing to our souls. This is why the Holy Spirit convicts us in regards to sin. And so I just want to throw out a few uh, areas of our lives. I mean, I'm not saying this would be you. Okay, I'll just speak for myself up here. Ways that I see sin in my life where the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to me. And, you know, if the shoe fits, then you could wear uh, the same shoes that I'm wearing today. Uh, but, but, you know, we have this, this uh, presence of pride in our lives versus what God wants us to live with is humility. Pride raises ourselves up above others, and it raises ourselves up and saying, our wisdom, God, is better than your wisdom, so I am going to do what I want to do. I am not going to humble myself and put others before myself or put you in your proper place, but I am going to live like I want to live. That is pride. 
or maybe you uh, at times want stuff. You just want stuff too much, and, and you're not content with just a little bit or, you know, the things that are necessary, but you want that and this and that, and just like, and so all of a sudden you see greed rising up in your heart rather than living a generous life toward others. Or maybe the sin of lust where you have sexual desires that don't line up with God's plan for sexuality. And so you are, you are desiring things for your own selfish good, what you perceive as your own selfish good, rather than exhibiting selfless love and, and honoring God with your sexuality. What about this one? Uh, jealousy versus contentment. Uh, I, I lead chapel for uh, three through five-year-olds on Thursdays. And uh, they had, they had uh, done this um, kind of, you know, uh, skit drama on Wednesday. And they were excited to show me on Thursday what they had been working on on Wednesday. And so, you know, after they got done, I applauded them. And I got up and I said, oh, you know what? I'm a little jealous that I wasn't here yesterday to participate. But you guys did such an amazing job. And I... You know, it was great. And, and then all of a sudden, my, my, little, my little buddy, uh, Silas, raises his hand. And, and I'm like, I'm trying to get into the new lesson, you know. But Silas keeps raising his hand. So I say, you know, uh, Silas, what, what do you want to share? And he says, I kid you not, he says, Pastor Tanner. And he says it with full sincerity and great concern. He says, Pastor Tanner, the Bible tells us that we should not be jealous. <laughs> I kid you not. And so I'm now like a back trying, like, okay, do I like just, you know, confess my sin or explain to him that I was kind of joking or like, you know, so, so anyway, like, but I just said, Silas, we all have jealousy that rises up in our hearts at times and we need God to help us with that. And, and so we, we see how jealousy surfaces rather than contentment. What about, what about this? Idolatry versus worship. Idolatry is anything that we elevate, anything that we value in our lives more than we value God. John Calvin said that our hearts are like idol factories. They're constantly chasing after things that they value more than we value God. Pride, greed, lust, jealousy, idolatry. And these are just a few of the sins that the Bible names. And if you're anything like me, you're saying, I've been guilty of that and that and that and that and that. But our greatest sin is found in verse 9. In fact, I would argue that this sin is the foundation of all sin. In other words, all of our individual specific sins flows from this one sin, which Jesus says what? Concerning sin, he will convict the world because they what? They do not believe in me. All sin flows from unbelief. We go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we see in Genesis 3 that Satan comes and he tempts and deceives Adam and Eve by getting them to what? Doubt the goodness of God, to doubt the Father's heart, to doubt his good plans for them. They move from a place of trust and belief in God to a place of distrust and unbelief. 
And this is where all our sin flows from. And this is the greatest sin that we carry in our hearts that Jesus has already showed up in the gospel of John. And he said in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will have a satisfaction that you've never known. If you come to me in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. And whoever walks and follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. And yet we go our own way and we do our own thing. Or what about in John? chapter 11, after his uh, good friend Lazarus died, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is saying, look, if you connect your life to mine and you believe in me, you are going to be able to conquer not just a spiritual death now, but an eternal death forever through faith in me. The Spirit speaks to our hearts and he says, look, this is true. It's true. It's really, really true. You really, really need Jesus. You need to find Jesus as your satisfaction, as the path that is lit up through his love. Your resurrection over death, it's all found in Jesus. You just need to believe in him. And this is so urgent. Listen, this is so important because the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, in other words, what we earn from our sin is what? It is death. It is not just physical death one day, but it is spiritual death now and eternal spiritual separation from God forever. So we need God to show us that, that we have sin in our life and this sin separates us from a relationship with Christ so that we will turn and put our faith in him, turn and believe in him, turn to live for him and with him. This is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2. If you want an illustration of what's happening in John chapter 16, then just go to Acts chapter 2. And Peter preaches this amazing sermon. And he says, let everyone know that Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Savior of all. And if you turn to him, you'll experience life. And the people, when they hear the message, it says in verse 37 that they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? Maybe this is you today. Whether you're here in the high school of Mefer High or whether you're worshiping online, you, you know that you've never truly acknowledged the depths of your sinfulness before God and how your sin has separated you from him. And God is saying, I want you to come and follow me. And if that's you, listen, you can, you can follow Jesus today. But for those of us who have followed Jesus, listen, perhaps you're hearing the Spirit say, you need to have confidence because this was your story. Just like I revealed to you that you had sin in your life, I am going to now use your words as you share them with other people to reveal to them that they need Jesus too. This is how the Holy Spirit has always worked. Number one, the Holy Spirit convinces people of their sin. Number two, the Holy Spirit convinces people of Christ's righteousness. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, Jesus goes on and he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Our efforts of living good lives before God and others are incredibly inadequate. The standards that we set up for ourselves 
simply do not cut it. And, and you and I, I mean, just think about your own life. Think about what you want to do in your life. If you have like a, just a little bit of ambition at all, you probably have some hopes, some dreams, some goals for your life. There are probably some standards that you have set for yourself. There's like, hey, I want to live this way. These are my values. I don't want to live this way because they don't match up with my values. But we don't even live up to our own standards that we set for ourselves, Right? much less the standards that God sets for us. And what is God's standard? God's standard is nothing less than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the blueprint. Jesus always lived rightly, which gave him a right standing before God. Jesus always did what was right and always refused what was wrong. He is our standard. And when he was with his disciples, the disciples could see the standard. They could see what it meant to live a righteous life because they saw Jesus living it every single day. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm about to check out of here. I'm about to leave. And now the Holy Spirit is going to show you God's standard as it lines up with my righteousness. Verse 10 is saying, because Jesus is not physically present, the Spirit will help us see God's righteous standard and reveal how guilty we are of falling short of his design. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We haven't glorified God with our lives. We haven't lived up to his glorious standard. And so that leaves us guilty before God. And listen, I, I know uh, you're probably thinking like, oh, man, now Pastor Tanner's talking about guilt. He just wants me to live on a guilt trip. You know, it's like I got I to gotta do more. I got to be better. I got to live a certain way in order to please God. That's certainly not the goal this morning. But we need to listen. We need to understand that God wants to expose our guilt before him so that he can lead us to his grace. God says you can't get to grace until you realize your guilt. And Jesus wants to take our guilt and bury it in the grave of his grace. This is, this is what he invites us to. This is what he wants us to experience. Listen, of course we're gonna, when we do something wrong, we are guilty. But it's grace that covers our guilt and removes our guilt. And this is the gift that Jesus offers us. Again, I think if, if we're just kind of evaluating our own lives and evaluating the lives of others, what happens is we all have a very selective and subjective standard of righteousness or right living. And most of the time, the, the standard is I am not like fill in the blank, right? Like, I am not like her. I am not like him. I am not like Will Smith at the Oscars. But here's, here's the really wild thing. Listen, here's the really wild thing. In order to have a real relationship with God, in order to enter into heaven one day and spend eternity with God forever, 
you need to be as righteous as Jesus Christ. Which means, yes, you need to have all of your sin forgiven, past, present, and future, okay? But you also need to have Christ's righteousness so that when God looks at you, he sees someone who is just as righteous as Jesus Christ. And what the Bible says is this is exactly what God wants for you, and he has done everything on his end to make sure that that can be your life. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, listen to this. If we confess our sins, if that means if we see our sin and agree with God that that was wrong, this is wrong, my life is wrong, I've been living for myself, not for you, and now I am confessing that before you. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, God will cleanse every single spot in your life. Everything that you're ashamed of, God will cleanse it all and take it all away. But that doesn't yet give us the righteousness of Jesus. But God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says that God, the Father, made him Jesus who knew no sin. He never sinned. He was sinless. He was perfect to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, because of what Jesus did on the cross, dying in our place, taking our sin on his sinless self, now he gives us his righteousness. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see old sinful Tanner who's done 1,001, 10,001, 100,001 wrong things, but he sees someone who is covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, he's good with me because Jesus has given him his righteousness. And now he has a right standing before me. That is awesome. And we can get excited about that. But listen, listen. You have to open your hands and receive this gift that God is offering you. You have to agree with God that you have lived for yourself, you have done your own thing, that your sin has separated you from him, but that he wants to give you his righteousness and open your hands to receive the gift that he offers you. And then when you do, listen, when you do, you need to prepare for this, and this is for all, everyone in the room who has chosen to follow Jesus, okay, that when you do, you are going to then continually hear the Spirit remind you of the righteousness of Christ, and he is going to say, this is the way, keep walking in it. Someone shared with me just this past week the, the, the quote from John Wesley a few centuries ago. It's a little old, but it's super relevant. You're going to understand when I share it with you. He said this. As a very little dust will disorder a clock. Now, I know most of us have digital clocks today. Okay, it's 1124 right now. Okay, so we don't have like old clocks that had the gears and all of that. But like just imagine that there's an old clock and when a dust gets in an old clock, then it messes it up and it causes it to function improperly. And then it messes up its ability to keep time. And so Wesley says, as a very little dust will disorder a clock and the least sand. We can get this because we've been to the beach in Massachusetts. And the least sand will obscure our sight. So the least grain of sin, which is upon the heart, will hinder its right motion toward God. 
I want to say that again. The, the least grain of sin which is upon our heart will hinder its right motion toward God. I hope you've experienced this. I hope you understand this. And I hope that that knowledge where Jesus says, if, if you sin with, with your eye, then gouge out your eye. If you sin with your hand, cut off your hand. Jesus isn't saying do that physically. He's saying you need to take sin that seriously. When Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, don't let a, even a hint of sexual immorality be a name among you, he's being serious. Why? Because even a hint will disrupt your fellowship with God and your movement toward the life of Christ. So I hope you see that the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time concerning sin, now you're good with sin, or a one-time concerning righteousness, now you're good with righteousness, but the same way that the Spirit convicts those yet to believe in Jesus, he continues to convict those of us who have believed in Jesus. The Spirit convinces people of their sin, of Christ's righteousness. And then finally, number three, the Spirit convinces people of Satan's defeat. Look at verse 11 here. Jesus says this. He says, the spirit will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean when he says the ruler of this world is judged? Who is the ruler of this world? We know from where Jesus has talked about it in other places and throughout the New Testament where Paul is talking about the prince of this world, we know that the ruler of this world is none other than Satan himself, also known as the devil. And Jesus is saying that, that he is now judged and he ties this. If we flip back, we need to recognize that Jesus says the same thing in John chapter 12, verse 31, when he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And Jesus here is talking about his hour, the hour of his death. Now that the hour of his departure has come, Satan is going to be dealt with in all his schemes exposed, and he himself is going to be judged. And this happens at the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross, though it was a place of death and the place of apparent defeat, becomes the place of Jesus' greatest victory. We see this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, where it says that, Jesus forgave us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Like if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit of God within you and, and life inside of your chest, in your soul, this should make your heart beat just a little bit faster that all of this is true for you. He set it aside, all of our sin, nailing it to the cross. And when he did it, listen, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. At the cross, listen, the devil was exposed and judged. His verdict read something like this. Satan, though you thought this was your moment of greatest victory, it proved to be the moment of your greatest defeat. You are exposed as a liar. Jesus is the truth. You are exposed as a thief. Jesus is the giver. 
You thought you had had the authority, but Jesus reigns above all. Satan, you brought death, but Jesus brings life. This is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But listen, just like Satan was judged at the cross, so each one of us will one day stand before God and we will be judged for how we have lived our lives as well. And the question we have to ask ourselves when we hear that for the first time or we are reminded of that is, are we ready to face the judgment of God? And this is, this is our hope right here. If you have heard the Spirit's convincing voice saying, yes, you have sinned in your life and you have sinned against me and you have at one time not believed in me and that sin has separated us from a real vibrant relationship, but now because you are crying out for me and the life I want to give you, your sins can be forgiven. And, and though you didn't measure up to the righteous standard of Jesus Christ, now Jesus is offering you his righteousness and his power so that you can live before me right day by day by day. This is the good news of the gospel. Though we ran away from God, God has come running after us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us. And this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Perhaps the greatest message you need to hear today is found in the words of Richard Sibbs. Whether you have yet to believe in Jesus or whether you have believed in Jesus and you're still dealing with the sin, I know you are, that, that, that clings to your heart. Listen, Sibbs said this, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There is more grace in the heart of Christ. There is more love in the heart of Christ. There is more forgiveness in the heart of Christ than there is ever going to be sin in us. So never think for a moment that, that God doesn't want to deal with your sin, that he doesn't want to forgive you of your sin. He wants you to know what it means to, to love him and to walk with him every single day. And so as we bring our time to a close, I want to ask those of you who have yet to follow Jesus in an all-in kind of way, where, where you know that Jesus is the greatest priority of my life, that, that there are, yes, many other things important in my life that actually are gifts from God, but, but I've never, ever made Jesus the, the ultimate treasure and priority of my life. Listen, if that is you today, again, whether you're here, whether you're worshiping online, this is, this is simply your response. You need to admit that you have sin in your life and your sin has separated you from God. Then you need to believe that Jesus did everything that you needed for your sin to be removed and for you to experience all of the life that he wants to give you. And then simply commit to follow him, to say, Jesus, my life is yours. I am going to live for you from this moment forward. Listen, if that is you today, do not wait another moment. And maybe the spirit is convicting you right now. And sometimes this feels like a light bulb going off in our mind. Sometimes it feels like an intense tug at our soul that is just saying, this is for you. 
If it's for you, listen, turn to Christ today. But there's another message I also want to share. If you remember, we started this message by saying Jesus is what he is giving his disciples confidence. The point of this message is that we can be confident to share Jesus because we have the advantage of God's spirit. And as we were praying into this today, I, like others in the room, had to say, listen, far too often I put too much confidence in myself and not enough confidence in the Spirit's work and presence in my life. And so maybe, just maybe, you would say with me, God, I'm tired of putting confidence in myself. This confidence often reveals itself in a lack of power and spiritual fruit. This confidence often reveals itself in and apprehension and resistance to actually share Jesus with people and point them to Christ. But once we see that the Spirit is within us and we have the ultimate advantage, it is going to help us step out and to invite people and share Jesus with confidence because we do the communicating, the Spirit does the convincing. So I want to lead us now in just a time of prayer. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and prepare to lead us in a song of response. But, but my question for you is simply this, is, as everyone bows your head and closes your eyes, if you have yet to believe in Jesus, I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, why wait? Don't wait any longer. Let today be the day that you hear from God the Spirit saying, this is what you need. And just to simply admit to God that you need him and to turn to Christ and say, Jesus, I am going to live for you and whatever you say, it goes in my life. If that's you today, then just pray a simple prayer to God in your own words that says, God, I need you. I want you in my life. I am willing to live for you. Whatever you say goes for me. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, God is calling us to the Christ life. And the Christ life is a life of love. The Christ life is a life of boldness. The, the Christ life is a life of compassion and mercy to those around us. It's a life of service that says, I am going to, to put others before myself. And when I do, I'm going to have the courage and the confidence, trusting in the power of the Spirit within me to attach some of the credit to Jesus and saying, listen, I'm not great, but I just do what I do because Jesus has changed my life and he can change yours too. Oh, God, fill us with confidence, Lord. We, we don't want to be a part of a church that lacks confidence. We want to be a church that, that is full of your spirit, that displays a confidence, that is saying, God, you are good. You are here. You are powerful, and you are ready to work through us. God, we are weak in and of ourselves, but you are strong. And so, God, whatever the prayer is today, God, let us pray these prayers today and tomorrow and let us with expectation believe that you want to come through, God, that you want to save some of us and you want to continue doing your good work of transformation in our lives as we follow Jesus day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.